Chapter 5 of In the Arctic Seas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the Arctic Seas by Captain F. L. McClintock. Chapter 5. 4th December. I have just returned on board from the performance of the most solemn duty a commander can be called upon to fulfil. A funeral at sea is always peculiarly impressive, but this evening at seven o'clock, as we gathered around the sad remains of poor Scott reposing under a Union Jack, and read the burial service by the light of lanterns, the effect could not fail to awaken very serious emotions. The greater part of the church service was read on board, under the shelter of the housing. The body was then placed upon a sledge, and drawn by the messmates of the deceased to a short distance from the ship, where a hole through the ice had been cut. It was then committed to the deep, and the service completed. What a scene it was! I shall never forget it. The lonely fox, almost buried in snow, completely isolated from the habitable world, her colours half-mast high, and bell mournfully tolling, our little procession slowly marching over the rough surface of the frozen sea, guided by lanterns and direction posts, amid the dark and dreary depth of arctic winter. The death-like stillness, the intense cold, and the threatening aspect of a murky overcast sky, and all this heightened by one of those strange lunar phenomena which are but seldom seen even here, a complete halo encircling the moon, through which passed a horizontal band of pale light that encompassed the heavens. Above the moon appeared the segments of two other halos, and there were also mock moons, or paraselenae, to the number of six. The misty atmosphere lent a very ghastly hue to this singular display, which lasted for rather more than an hour. Poor Scott fell down a hatchway two days only before his death, which was occasioned by the internal injuries then received. He was a steady, serious man. A widow and family will mourn his loss. He was our engine driver. We cannot replace him. Therefore the whole duty of working the engines will devolve upon the engineer, Mr. Brand. 11th. Calm, clear weather, pleasant for exercise, but steadily cold. Thermometer varies between minus 20 degrees and minus 30 degrees. At noon, the blush of dawn tints the southern horizon. To the north, the sky remains inky blue whilst overhead it is bright and clear, the star shining and the pole star near the zenith very distinct. Although there is a light north wind, thin mackerel clouds are passing from south to north, and the temperature has risen 10 degrees. I have been questioning Peterson about the bones of the muskox found in Smith Sound. He says the decayed skulls of about 20 were found, all of them to the north of the 79th parallel. As they were all without lower jaws, he says they were killed by Eskimo, who leave upon the spot the skulls of large animals, but the weight of the lower jaw being so trifling, it is allowed to remain attached to the flesh and tongue. The skull of a muskox, with its massive horns, cannot weigh less than 30 pounds. Although it has been abundantly proved by the existence of raised beaches and fossils that the shores of Smith Sound have been elevated within a comparatively recent geological period, yet Peterson tells me that there exist numerous ruins of Eskimo buildings, probably one or two centuries old, all of which are situated upon very low points, only just sufficiently raised above the reach of the sea such sites in fact as would at present be selected by the natives these ruins show that no perceptible change has taken place in the relative level of sea and land since they were originally constructed at peterson's greenland home upanivik the land has sunk as is plainly shown by similar ruins over which the tides now flow anything which illustrates the habits of animals in such extremely high latitudes i think is most interesting their instincts must be quickened in proportion as the difficulty of subsisting increases Foxes white and blue are very numerous. All the birds are merely summer visitors, therefore the hare is the only creature remaining upon which foxes can prey. But the hares are comparatively scarce. 
How then do the foxes live for eight months of each year? Peterson thinks they store up provisions during the summer in various holes and crevices, and thus manage to eke out an existence during the dark winter season. He once saw a fox carry off eggs in his mouth from an eider duck's nest, one at a time until the hole were removed, and in winter he has observed a fox scratch a hole down through very deep snow to a cache of eggs beneath. The men are exercised at building snow huts. For winter or early spring travelling this knowledge is almost indispensable. Upon a calm day, the temperature of the external air being minus 33 degrees, within a snow hut the thermometer stood 17 degrees higher, this important difference being due to the transmission of heat through the ice from the sea beneath. Evaporation goes on through the ice from the water underneath it. The interior of each snow hut is coated with crystals, and the ice upon which the huts are built is four feet thick, but when no longer in contact with water, I cannot discover any evaporation from ice. For instance, a canvas screen on deck which became wet by the sudden thaw last month still remains frozen stiff. 14th. Of late there has been much damp upon the lower deck. This has now been remedied by enclosing the hatchway within a commodious snow porch, which serves as a condenser for the steam and vapour from the inhabited deck below. 19th. Light northwest winds with occasional mists. The temperature is comparatively mild, minus 12 degrees to minus 25 degrees. It is now the time of spring tides. They cause numerous cracks in the ice, but why so, at such great distance from the land, I cannot explain. The three nearest points of land are respectively 110, 140 and 180 miles distant from us. Much aurora during the last two days. Yesterday morning it was visible until eclipsed by the day dawn at 10 o'clock. Although we could no longer see it, I do not think it ceased. Very thin clouds occupied its place, through which, as through the aurora, stars appeared scarcely dimmed in lustre. I do not imagine that aurora is ever visible in a perfectly clear atmosphere. I often observe it just silvering or rendering luminous the upper edge of low fog or cloud banks, and with a few vertical rays feebly vibrating. Last evening Dr. Walker called me to witness his success with the electrometer. The electric current was so very weak that the gold leaves diverged at regular intervals of four or five seconds. Some hours afterwards it was strong enough to keep them diverged. 21st. Midwinter day. Out of the Arctic regions it is better known as the shortest day. At noon we could just read type similar to the leading article of the Times. Few people could read more than two or three lines without their eyes aching. 27th. Our Christmas was a very cheerful, merry one. The men were supplied with several additional articles, such as hams, plum puddings, preserved gooseberries and apples, nuts, sweetmeats and Burton ale. After divine service they decorated the lower deck with flags and made an immense display of food. The officers came down with me to see their preparations. We were really astonished. The mess tables were laid out like the counters in a confectioner's shop, with apple and gooseberry tarts, plum and sponge cakes in pyramids, besides various other unknown puffs, cakes and loaves of all sizes and shapes. We bake all our own bread, and excellent it is. In the background were nicely browned hams, meat pies, cheeses, and other substantial articles. Rum and water in wine glasses and plum cake were handed to us. We wished them a happy Christmas and complimented them on their taste and spirit in getting up such a display. Our silken sledge banners had been borrowed for the occasion and were regarded with deference and peculiar pride. In the evening the officers were enticed down amongst the men again, and at a late hour I was requested as a great favour to come down and see how much they were enjoying themselves. I found them in the highest good humour with themselves and all the world. They were perfectly sober and singing songs, each in his turn. I expressed great satisfaction at having seen them enjoying themselves so much and so rationally, 
I could therefore the better describe it to Lady Franklin, who was so deeply interested in everything relating to them. I drank their healths, and hoped our position next year would be more suitable for our purpose. We all joined in drinking the healths of Lady Franklin and Miss Craycroft, and amid the acclamations which followed, I returned to my cabin, immensely gratified by such an exhibition of genuine good feeling, such veneration for Lady Franklin, and such loyalty to the cause of the expedition. It was very pleasant also that they had taken the most cheering view of our future prospects. I verily believe I was the happiest individual on board that happy evening. Our Christmas box has come in the shape of northerly winds, which bid fair to drift us southward towards those latitudes wherein we hope for liberation next spring from this icy bondage. 28th. We have been in expectation of a gale all day. This evening there is still a doubtful sort of truce amongst the elements. Barometer down to 28.83, thermometer up to plus 5 degrees, although the wind has been strong and steady from the north for 24 hours. Low scud flying from the east, snow constantly falling. An hour ago the wind suddenly changed to south-south-east. The snowing has ceased, thermometer falls and barometer rises. 2nd January, 1858. New Year's Day was the second edition of Christmas and quite as pleasantly spent. We dwelt much upon the anticipations of the future, being a more agreeable theme than the failure of the past. I confess to a hearty welcome for the new year, anxious of course that we may escape uninjured and sufficiently early to pursue the object of our voyage. Exactly at midnight on the 31st of December, the arrival of the new year was announced to me by our band, two flutes and an accordion, striking up at my door. There was also a procession, or perhaps I should say a continuation of the band. These performers were grotesquely attired and armed with frying pans, gridirons, kettles, pots and pans, with which to join in and add to the effect of the other music. We have a very level hard walk alongside the ship. It is narrowed to two or three yards in width by a snowbank four feet high. In the face of this bank some twenty-five holes have been excavated for the dogs, and in them they spend most of their time. It looks very formidable in the moonlight, being a good imitation of a casemated battery. After our rubber of whist on New Year's night, Peterson related to us some of his dreadful sufferings when with the party which had left Dr. Kane. They spent the months of October and November in Booth Sound, latitude 77 degrees, all that time upon the verge of starvation, unable to advance or retreat. For these two months they had no other fuel than their small cedar boat, the smoke of which was not endurable in their wretched hut, and without light, for the sun left them in October, unless we accept one inch and a half of taper daily, which they made out of a lump of beeswax that accidentally found its way into their boat before leaving the ship. In December they regained their vessel. I am surprised that no account of the extreme hardships of this party, so far exceeding that of their shipmates on board, has ever appeared, and I regret it, as I believe they owed their lives to the experience and fidelity of their interpreter Peterson. At first the Eskimo assisted them, latterly they were quite unable to do so, and became anxious to get rid of their visitors. Observing how weakened they had become, the Eskimo endeavoured to separate them from their guns and from each other, and even used threatening language. During December we drifted 67 miles, directly down Baffin's Bay towards the Atlantic, and are now in latitude 74 degrees. Although it is quite impossible to discriminate between the several influences which probably govern our movements, or to ascertain how much is due to each of them, such as the relative positions of the ice, land and open water, winds, currents and earth's rotation, yet it appears in the present instance that the wind is almost the sole agent in hastening this vast continent of ice towards the latitudes of dissolution. We move before the wind in proportion to its strength. We remain stationary in calm weather. Neither surface nor submarine current has been detected. The large icebergs obey the same influences as the surface ice. We have noticed a slight set to the westward. It is not likely to be produced by current, and may be the result of the Earth's motion from west to east. Sixth, many lanes of water. 
A seal has been seen, the only one for six weeks. Of the old ice which so closely hemmed us in up to the middle of September, there is hardly any within several miles of us, except the large floe piece we are frozen to. Every crack or lane which opens is quickly covered with young ice, so that it cannot close again, and in this manner the old ice has been spread out. I rejoice in its dispersion. Today I put a tumblerful of our strong ale, Olsops, on deck to freeze. This was soon effected, the temperature being minus 35 degrees. After bringing it below, and when its temperature had risen to 17 degrees, it was almost all thawed. At 22 degrees it was completely so. It looked muddy, but settled after standing for a couple of hours, when I drank it off, in every way satisfied with my experiment and my beer. It seemed none the worse for its freezing, but rather flat from its long exposure in a tumbler. 17th. Northerly winds blow almost constantly. We have drifted 60 miles since the first, and are now only 115 miles from Upernivik once more upon confines of the habitable world. Good light for three hours daily. All this is cheering. We continue our snow-hut practice, and can build one in three-quarters of an hour. 28th. The upper edge of the sun appeared above the horizon today, after an absence of eighty-nine days. It was a gladdening sight. I sent for the ship's steward, and asked what was the custom on such occasions. To hoist the colours and serve out an extra half-gill, sir, was the ready reply. Accordingly, the Harwich lion soon fluttered in a breeze cool enough to stiffen the limbs of ordinary lions, and in the evening the grog was issued. 30th. Our mess-made pussy is unwell and won't eat. In vain has Hobson tempted her with raw seal's flesh, preserved salmon, preserved milk, etc. At length, castor oil was forcibly administered. Puss is a great favourite. Our finest dog, Sultan, is also sick, and his coat is in bad order. Blubber has been prescribed for him and poor old Mary has fits, not uncommon after the long winter. Peterson immediately ordered her to be bled by slitting her ear, but Christian, in his fright and haste, cropped the tip of it off. These comprise our only medical cases. A dove-key in its white winter plumage and two seals have been seen lately. 15th February. The returning daylight cheers us up wonderfully, not that we were suffering either mentally or bodily, but the change is most agreeable. We can take much longer walks than were possible during the dark period. The men have been supplied with muskets, and go out sporting as ardently as schoolboys. I took a long walk towards one of our iceberg companions, but could not quite reach it, as weak ice intervened, each step producing an undulation. Finding the point of my knife went through it with but very slight resistance, I gave up the attempt and turned back. The ship's masts were scarcely visible in the distance. Almost the whole of the intervening ice was of this winter's growth, and in many places much crushed up. Daylight reveals to us evidences of vast ice movements having taken place during the dark months when we fancied all was still and quiet, and now we see how greatly we have been favoured, what innumerable chances of destruction we have unconsciously escaped. A few days ago the ice suddenly cracked within ten yards of the ship, and gave her such a smart shock that everyone rushed on deck with astonishing alacrity. One of these sudden disruptions occurred between me and the ship when I was returning from the iceberg. The sun was just setting as I found myself cut off. Had I been on the other side, I would have loitered to enjoy a refreshing gaze upon this dark streak of water, but after a smart run of a mile along its edge, and finding no place to cross, visions of a patrol on the floe for the long night of fifteen hours began to obtrude themselves. At length I reached a place where the jagged edges of the floes met, so crossed and got safely on board. Nothing was seen during this walk of nearly twenty-five miles except one seal. Recent gales have drifted us rapidly southward. Cracks and lanes are very numerous. On the first, a blue or sooty fox was shot. Although 130 miles from the nearest land, he was very fat. Hence we argued dove-keys were much more numerous during winter than we supposed. We have often noticed the tracks of foxes following up those of the bears, 
probably for discarded scraps of the seals upon which they prey. Hobson's favourite dog Chummy has returned, after an absence of six days, decidedly hungry, but he can hardly have been without food all that time. Some fox may have lured him off. He evinced great delight at getting back, devoted his first attentions to a hearty meal, then rubbed himself up against his own particular associates, after which he sought out and attacked the weakest of his enemies, and, soothed by their howlings, coiled himself up for a long sleep. 1st March. February has been a remarkably mild, cloudy, windy month. The winter temperature may be said to have passed away by the 10th, the average temperature for the first 10 days being minus 25 degrees, whilst for the remainder of the month it was minus 11 degrees. Had one fallen asleep for a month at least, he could not reasonably have expected to find a greater change on awakening. Our drift has also been great, 166 miles. We are south of the 70th parallel, and may soon be expelled from our icy home. On the 24th there was a fearful gale of wind. Had not our housing been very well secured, it must have been blown away. We are preparing for sea, removing the snow from off the deck and round the ship. Our skylights have been dug out, in winter they are always covered with a thick layer of snow, and the flood of light which beams down through them is quite charming. How intolerably sooty and smoke-dried everything looks! On the 27th the first seal of this year was shot. It came in good time, for the 51 seals shot in autumn were finished only two days before. Our English supply of dog's food therefore remains almost untouched. Snow was observed to melt against the ship's side exposed to the sun, the thermometer in the shade standing at minus 22 degrees. A very fine dog has died from eating a quantity of salt fish, which he managed to get at, although it was supposed to be quite out of his reach. One of the two large icebergs which commenced this voyage with us last October, in 75.5 degrees north, has drifted out of sight to the southeast. The other one is far off in the northwest. I attribute these increased distances solely to the spreading abroad of the intervening ice. When we were far north, and probably drifting more slowly than the ice in the stream of Lancaster Sound to the westward of us, the ship's head turned very gradually from right to left, from north-northwest to west. When about the parallel of 72 degrees north, we supposed ourselves to be drifting faster than the western ice. In this, as in the previous case, comparing our drift with that of Lieutenant de Haven, the ship's head slowly shifted back to the right as far as west-northwest. Latterly it has not changed at all. We are in a narrower part of Davis Strait, where the winds probably blow with equal force from shore to shore, and drift the whole pack at a uniform rate. 5th. On the 2nd, four fat seals and some dovekies were shot. The largest seal weighed 170 pounds, the smallest 150 pounds. They were males of the species Phoca hispida, or Phoca fetida, the latter epithet being by far the most appropriate at this season. The disagreeable odour resembles garlic, and taints the whole animal so strongly that even Eskimo are nearly overpowered by it. This is almost the only description of seal we have obtained, but the females are at all seasons free from fetter. Several long lanes of water extend at right angles to the straits. The doctor has taken a photograph of the ship by the albumen process on glass. The temperature at the time was below zero. Upon the third and fourth, a well-remarked revolving storm passed nearly over us to the west-northwest. Its extreme diameter was 30 hours, that of the strength of the gale 18 hours. Its centre probably passed about one-tenth of its diameter to the southwest. The barometer was rather high, having risen just before the wind commenced at northeast, but it now fell half an inch in ten hours, and continued to fall until the wind shifted, almost suddenly, through southeast to south-southwest. Immediately the barometer got up rapidly. As the barometer fell, the temperature rose from zero to plus eighteen degrees, and fell again after the change of wind. This violent storm brought with it a smart hail shower. 
The depression of the ice about the bows, in consequence of a vast accumulation of snowdrift upon it, brought the ship down by the head considerably. Today this ice suddenly detached itself, and the fore part of the vessel sprang up. She still remains frozen and held down abaft. The snow banking looks very woebegone after this ice quake. It inclines out from the ship, and in many places has been prostrated by the shock. Early on the morning of the 7th, the high land of Disco was seen. Its distance was upwards of 90 miles. End of chapter 5